Um, well, good evening. Um, I thank you, Kathy, and the team of ladies who asked me to speak tonight. Uh, but to be honest with you all, I've been praying that the rapture would happen before I'd have to speak tonight, and I'm still praying. <laughs> Um, I don't have any confidence in public speaking or my knowledge to articulate how wonderful the Lord truly is, and I'm completely terrified to be up here. Although this is not in comparison, I feel similar to Moses in Exodus 3 and 4, when the Lord is speaking to Moses from the burning bush and calling him to stand up for his people. Moses questioned and raised objections, but the Lord was graciously patient with him. Moses tried to get out of the job by saying, Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I have never been, and I'm not even now, even though you've spoken to me. I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Please send somebody else, which is what I've been saying since, like, who knows when they asked me to speak. Uh, but God ordered, Go now. I will speak with you, and I will instruct you on in what to say. So after he didn't answer my prayer for the rapture, um, my following prayer is that the Lord would speak through my very fast, tongue-tied, tangled words and give his words to speak to all of you. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for tonight, Father. I can't believe I'm up here, Lord. <laughs> I really think that you would have so many other people, Father, but I'm being obedient to you, Lord. So I pray, Father, that you would use these words that you've given to me to speak to all of these ladies, Lord. You are so great, Father. You are Lord Almighty. You're in control of everything, Father. And I love you so much, Lord. I still do pray that you come back and very come back quickly, Lord. But, Father, I thank you for what you've given me, Father, what you've blessed me with, Lord. And I pray for Autumn, Father. I thank you for her. Lord, I thank you that um, her scans have come back clear, Lord, that you've worked a miracle in her body, Father. And I do pray, Father, that this cancer would never enter her body again or any of my girls tonight, Father. I think of others who are battling cancer, like Riley Faith um, and Karen Logan, Lord. I can't imagine what they're going through, Father. So I do ask that you would perform a miracle in their bodies as well. I know that they've always been alongside of us with Autumn, Father, praying for us. So I lift them up to you, Father. Lord, be with us tonight, Father. We um, just love you so much, Jesus, and in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, so I made a PowerPoint because I guess it's the teacher in me. I have to have a visual of what I'm talking about, plus it'll help me stay on track. Uh, but the two chapters that I was assigned to speak on were chapters 9 and 10, overcoming everything with prayer and overcoming death with life. The reason why I feel that I was chosen with this task is because we're overcoming our daughter's cancer battle with prayer. But I don't claim the title is overcomer just yet. Although our daughter has successfully completed 14 rounds of chemotherapy and her scans have come back clear as of Friday, April 15, 2022, praise the Lord, I know that life is a battlefield and that the war is raging. In chapter 9, David Jeremiah says, in life, we're engaged in an ongoing, titanic battle in enemy-occupied territory, what we are living in right now. This battle is against invisible powers and principalities determined to cut us off from God and to force us to draw on our own meager resources. However, we have a secret lifeline that connects us to our commander, our leader, giving us his strength and his direction each day. And that secret lifeline is the line of communication we call prayer. 
when we were told that our daughter's tumor was cancerous, which is a picture of what it is here, so that's Autumn um, with the tumor on her back, I just kind of froze. I didn't know what to do. I think I just went numb. Things started spiraling out of a, at a rate that was difficult to keep up and into waters that were cold and deep. Autumn got surgery fairly quickly after the team of doctors did sequential testing on her tumor and diagnosed her tumor as what's called sick ducts 4, a very rare, a very aggressive type of cancer, being most like a Ewing sarcoma. She then had a second surgery to remove the margin around the original tumor and to test that area as well, um, and got a port placed in so that it could start chemotherapy. Chemotherapy round number one started in August 2020. She was then scheduled for her first round of PET MRI scans to check the rest of her body to see if the cancer had metastasized. As she laid on the MRI table, I felt like Abraham, who, have, who had to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. I had to lay her down and strap her to the table. She was terrified and I was an emotional wreck. At that moment, I had never prayed so hard in my life like I had prayed for those scans to come back clear and that there would be no cancer in her body. As I sat in the room while she underwent an hour and a half of testing in a machine that was loud um, and that she was crying in, I kept praying and praying and praying. I actually ran out of words to pray and the only thing that came out were tears. I actually ran out of words to pray and came out tears, I'm repeating myself. Um, but the tears dripped onto a book that I had been reading. I couldn't bring my cell phone, nothing was allowed in the room. And it was called uh, Risen Motherhood, Gospel Hope for Everyday Moments. I had opened to the page where I had left off, and which it had been a while since everything happened with, um, with her, her surgeries. And I read this page and these actual sayings. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. On that day, all disabilities and differences will be fully healed. No more medicines, surgeries, therapies, or appointments. If you are a mother facing challenges of a child with differences, there is a purpose. God is working in your child's life and through their challenges to display his glory. And he is working in you too. The works of God are not just displayed in the person who is differently abled. The works of God are also shown through you as you care for them day after day. As you speak of God's good grace to you when others ask how you do it. Difficulty and questions have a way of pressing down hard on unbelief, revealing our doubts, our fears, our bitterness, and the true nature of our faith. We want quick fixes to our problems, but God gives slow solutions because we're slow learners. Struggle and patient endurance bring sanctification. They force us to look beyond ourselves and our circumstances and decide if we really believe what is true. I felt as if the Lord appeared to me during one of the most intense, anxious, and uneasy times that I've ever experienced in my life, and wrote those words specifically to me and directly to me. As I felt like I started to drift into deep waters, he saved me 
and set me free by anchoring me to the shore with those words. Like, what are the chances that I open up to, and it had been months since I've been reading this book, and it was literally that page he spoke to me. He says in John 8.32, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. In chapter 6, David Jeremiah says, When we encounter a problem that's bigger than ourselves and our ability to handle, that's when we learn that our own resources are inadequate and that we can't truly rely on Jesus until we stop trying to rely on ourselves. God uses our problems to deepen our faith in him. At the end of the chapter, the scripture reads, In God I have put my trust, and I will not fear. Psalm 56, 4. I decided as I sat there and watched and prayed over autumn that my trust is in the Lord. I have no other option. I'm not going to fear, and I'm going to pray that I remain steadfast in the Lord like David did. David knew his power and his strength were in the Lord. David's courage was truly a product of his faith in God, as it was mentioned in in chapter 1. God's promise to us is this. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord, Psalm 31, 24. As David Jeremiah mentions, as an overcomer, your strength is in God, not yourself. But how is that achieved? It's by prayer. Prayer is a river through which God's strength flows into your life. So going into this battle, I needed to know the truth about God, the truth about Christ, and the truth in the Bible. Chapter 3 talks about the more we know our scriptures, the less puzzled we will be about how to live our daily lives and how it all fits into the bigger picture. Stu Weber asks this, are you involved in a regular rigorous, rigorous regimen of a Bible study? If not, what in the world are you doing? Your mind, the most critical weapon in battle, is braced by doctrine. Your soul is strengthened by biblical knowledge. In Ephesians 6, when Paul is describing the armor of God, he says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth, buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Psalm 144.1 says this, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and and my fingers for battle. Paul understood how difficult circumstances in life taught him profound truth about God's method for strengthening his children. Charles Spurgeon has said this, 
God does not need your strength. He has more than enough power of his own. He asks for your weakness. He has none of that himself. And he is longing, therefore, to take your weakness and use it as an instrument for his mighty hand. Will you not yield your weakness to him and receive his strength? John MacArthur said, It is for when believers are out of answers and confidence and strength and nowhere else to turn to but to God, that they're in the position to be most effective. Physical suffering, mental anguish, disappointment, unfulfillment, and failure all squeeze the impurities out of our lives, out of believers' lives, making them pure channels for which God's power can flow. I love this picture. It says here, I do not trust in my own bow. I do not count on my own sword to save me. You are the one who gives us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. Psalm 44, 6 and 7. As Autumn started going through chemotherapy rounds, I also started a blog to keep our family and friends informed of what was happening and how they could pray for Autumn and for us. On August 8, 2020, I titled the blog as The Crushing Times. Chemotherapy just started, and Autumn was experiencing all the unpleasant effects of chemotherapy, like mouth sores preventing her from eating, pain all over her body from Nulasta shots that we had to inject into her, her eyelids were darkening, her hair started to fall out, and with COVID in full effect, no help for meeting with others on a... um, Sorry, no help for meeting with others um, that uh, walked the path. And we were struggling. It, it hit a point where I think it kind of caught up with us. Ryan had passed on a devotional video that Trevor did on lavender oil. The pastors were creating weekly devotions to encourage the people through the beginning effects of COVID and everyone being isolated. His devotional reminded me of something that I had written in my Bible many years ago that encouraged me through this difficult time. So it was titled, The Crushing Times. Corinthians 4, 8 through 9 says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. The olive grove is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus met there often with his disciples. But it was also a place of deep sorrow. The olive tree is a picture of why our hearts must go through the crushing times. The first is that they're necessary. In order to be fruitful, the olive tree must have both the east and the west wind. East is dry and hot and it's from the desert, it's very harsh. But the west west wind is from the Mediterranean. It brings rain and it brings life. The olive tree needs both to produce the fruit and so do we. Winds of hardship and winds of relief sweep across our lives so that we can be fruitful. The second is the crushing times are processing times. The olive tree is naturally bitter. It has to go through a lengthy process that includes washing and breaking and soaking and sometimes salting and waiting some more. It has to be cured of its bitterness. And the crushing times are perseverance times. When harvesting olives for oil, you must have a soaking rain for at least two hours so that the water can make it to the roots through the tree, and to the olives. Olives need to be picked and preserved. The best way to preserve an olive for the long run is to crush it and extract the oil. The biblical way to be preserved is to be pressed. 
And being pressed could feel like being crushed, but it's not, the crushing isn't the olive's end. Crushing is a way to get the most valuable oil. So when the sorrowful winds of the east blow, don't forget that they're necessary. When I'm being processed, don't forget it's getting rid of bitterness. And when I'm being crushed, don't forget it's for preservation. God knew we would forget, so he gave us the olive tree. As we all go through crushing times at one point or another in our lives, God uses those times for different purposes and encourages us to armor in the Lord. Paul continues to encourage ourselves to armor in God with verse 18, and he says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for the Lord's people. And so we prayed and we prayed and we prayed some more. Anytime my mind would wander, worry or anxious thoughts would enter, I prayed to dismiss them. I repeated over and over again the truth of the scriptures, especially Philippians 4, 6 through 8. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understandings, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In chapter 5, David Jeremiah gives the definition of anxious. It literally means to be pulled apart into two different directions. It means to have a war, a battle going on in the inner spirit trying to pull you apart. In this battle for my inner spirit, I wanted to stand firm. David Jeremiah outlined four steps to prayer, and he used the acronym ACTS. A for adoration, C for confession, T for thanksgiving, and S for supplication. By building our prayers on these four progressive elements, we can come into God's presence and experience a deeper fellowship with him. Going back through the blog and reliving our journey a bit, we had felt a deepening of our faith and his presence so much more than we had ever felt because of the prayers that we prayed. Most of the titles to our blog posts were some type of prayer or prayer request, and we had prayed all kinds of prayers at all different times and didn't know, but we were using this Acts type of prayer. We had prayers of adoration from our devotional that we have in our bathroom from Max Lakato. You'll get through this. February 25th had said, God surrounds us in the same way the Pacific surrounds an ocean floor pebble. He's above, below, and on all sides. He showed himself faithful to us in every moment that we encountered. We had prayers of confession, like the time that I had overdosed autumn, I gave myself the title as the worst mom ever and unfit to take care of her. I shook my fist and questioned God as to why he chose me to be her mother. I confessed that I was unworthy and I was incapable of taking care of her needs. To be honest, I had overdosed her by the medicine that I had given her. And I'm a math teacher, so I work with the numbers and I teach my students all the time how important it is to know where your decimal place is. And I got very, very angry, like, Lord, why did you do this? You could have sent anybody else to be her mother, but why? A song by Tasha Layton had come out right around that time called Into the Sea, It's Going to Be Okay. And the words just kept repeating over and over in my mind as we had to take the ambulance ride to the hospital. She says in her song, my heart is breaking, 
in a way I never thought it could. My mind is racing with the question, are you still good? Can you make something from this wreckage? Would you take this heart and make it whole? Though the mountains may be moved into this sea, though the ground beneath my crumble and give way, I can hear my father's voice singing over me, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. I've blamed myself, and if I'm honest, I've blamed you too. But, would you, but you would not forsake me, because only good things come from you. From the beginning to the end, you're so close. You've never let me down, and you won't. In the valleys, in the shadows, I know you're close. You are so close. In the hospital, I repeated Psalm 46 over and over, because I didn't know what else to do. It says, God, you are our refuge and our strength. Therefore, we will not fear that the earth may give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams makes glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, and she will not fail. God will help her at the break of day. As Autumn had finished her chemotherapy, um, March of 2021, Tasha Layton had come up with another song that was titled, Look What You've Done, and it almost bookcased our journey. In this song, she says, Standing in your presence, Lord, I can feel you digging all the roots up. I can feel you healing all my wounds up. And all I can say is hallelujah. Look what you've done. Look what you've done. You spoke the truth into the lies I let my heart believe. Look at me now. Look how you made me new. The enemy did everything he could. Oh, but look what you've done. Suddenly, all the shame is gone. I thought I was too broken. But now I see you were breaking new ground inside of me. Look what you've done. On a cross, in a grave, with the stone rolled away, my debt is paid. Look what you've done in my heart and in my mind and in my soul, in my life, with my hands living, living, lifted high, I'm singing, look what you've done. We also had prayer of thanksgiving with praising him and receiving clear scans and good reports. And we had many prayers of supplication, begging him for healing, for comfort, for wisdom, for encouragement. And many prayers for the trial to end or the test to be taken away. Even when I would other prayers for the trial to be taken away, God was faithful and answered in ways that only he could through readings of devotions, like the devotion from our bathroom from Laxicato, on different days when feelings of doubt and anger would arise, he would speak to me. In the Bible, a test is an external trial that purifies and prepares the heart, just as fire refines the precious metal from dross and impurities. A trial purges the heart of the same. And like this one, dismiss the notion that God does not see your struggle. On the contrary, God is fully engaged. He sees the needs of tomorrow and accordingly uses the circumstances to create the test today. Pastor Joe was just talking about on church on Sunday with the disciples being in the storm on the Sea of Galilee. And he was there. He was watching. And like this one, if you see your troubles as nothing more than isolated hassles or hurts, you'll grow bitter and angry. 
Yet if you see your troubles as test by God for his glory and your maturity, then even the smallest incidences take on significance. God hasn't forgotten you, just the opposite. He's chosen to train you. And lastly, each day has a pop quiz, and some seasons are final exams. What is the purpose of this test? Might this be the answer? For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. And for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be stronger in character and ready for anything, James 1, 3, and 4 tells us. Kathy Patrick had mentioned that she had read Hind's Feet on High Places. Jill Barnes had gifted us the children's version um, of the book when Autumn started her cancer journey, and we started to read it as a family, and it was a complete blessing to us. On a blog post that we had written on September 18, 2020, it is written, The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like deer's feet. He enables me to go to on to go onto the high heights. Habakkuk 319. I'm sure I'm not saying that right. I've looked it up 10 times and I'm practicing, but who knows? <laughs> you all know hopefully what book I'm talking about, though. Um, he says here, uh, we were reading, or I, we said in the, the blog, we were reading Heinz Vino High Places to the Girls last night and read the first chapter. In the village of Much Trembling, the main character, Much Afraid, was scared to go up to the mountain with the good shepherd because her feet were crippled, and she was worried she was not pretty enough. She longed to get out of the valley, away from her family of fearlings, cross the river, and go to the beautiful mountain on the high places. The shepherd said, It is quite true that the way up to the high places is both difficult and dangerous. It has to be, so that nothing which of the enemy of love can get into the kingdom. Nothing crippled or deformed is allowed, and the people who live there do need hinds feet. I have them myself, he added with a smile, so that I can go leaping to the mountains with the greatest of ease and pleasure. Much afraid. I can make your feet like Heinz feet too and set you on the high places. You could serve me much better and be out of reach of your enemies. The story continues, and at the end of the chapter, the verses were given to read. 1 Samuel 16, 7, God sees my heart. Psalm 18, 33, he makes my feet like deer's feet. Habakkuk 3, 19, so that I can go to the high places. And Psalm 18.3, I will call upon the Lord, and he will save me from my enemies. When we looked up these verses with the girls, I had written these things on the side of my margin in my Bible. This is where the Lord works in mysterious and wonderful ways and continues to meet us during these difficult times. I don't remember writing this or where I even got it from, but the Lord knew I would need it today. Six ways God empowers us. He gives us his strength, our source of courage. He sends out an invisible army to work and fight on our behalf, all of you. He steadies our feet no matter how, un, um, how unsteady the terrain is, which was the cancer battle. He makes us walk in predestined great places. He leads us to high places, places of challenge and responsibility. And last, he develops a spiritual confidence within us. I also looked up commentary on this verse and read that deers run on high hills, never losing their step or, their, and, or never falling. 
Deers positively dance and leap to the hills full of life and joy. As I trust him, he will not allow me to slip or fall. And I will do more than just merely plod along. I will skip about life with joy. The Lord wants us to learn to be on top of our problems, like deers leap into the mountains. He wants us to live a victorious Christian life here. Lord, help my spirit not to be crippled and afraid. I want to be strong, autumn strong, on the inside for you. In chapter 2 of the book, David Jeremiah says that one of his favorite Old Testament passages is from the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk. I don't know how it's pronounced, but it's, it's there right in the middle. <laughs> the book opens to us the heart of the prophet agonizing over God's inattention to his prayers. And he was overwhelmed, a feeling we often felt as well. He says, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no fruit, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on the high hills. He had to come to terms with the question, Will I trust in God and his wisdom and the goodness of him no matter what happens around me? As we face challenges head on, we keep praising and worshiping and praying to God who is greater and stronger than any challenge in our path. We overcome our weakness with strength downloaded through worship and prayer. Like Habakkuk, David, and so many others, I will put on the armor of God and know that prayer is the most valuable weapon against fear, anxiety, and worry. In the midst of the storm, we need to set our, our minds on the one who is in control, the Almighty God. David Jeremiah tells the story of people on an airplane that had hit some bad turbulence. I forget, somewhere in the book. Uh, the pilot had come on and tried to prepare everyone and told them to brace for some bad turbulence. Everyone on the plane was worried and terrified, except a little girl. After the plane had gotten through the turbulence and the people were able to put their guards down, they asked the little girl how she stayed so calm. And she said, my daddy's the pilot and he's taking me home. I didn't worry because I knew he was in the cockpit. David Jeremiah also mentions in chapter 9 that there are four reasons why we pray. First, we pray to maintain and deepen our connection to God. Remember, this is our lifeline to our commander. Second, God wants us to want what he knows we should have. The more we pray, the more we can see how our prayers are answered. God didn't answer my prayer that Autumn's trial of chemotherapy would end and all that came with it. But my prayers actually changed. My prayers changed as he spoke to me and encouraged me through his word. My prayer changed that he would strengthen my family's individual walks and show himself faithful in the circumstances. I actually thanked him for the trial instead of praying them away. Third, God tells us to pray for our needs so that we'll acknowledge him as a source of all that we have. And lastly, God wants you to pray so that your capacity to receive his gifts might be enlarged. Prayer makes a difference because it has real power 
And sometimes that's the only resource we have. Chapter 9 concludes with the following scripture. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. James 5.16. Now, as I run out of time, and before I run off this stage, chapter 10 of the Overcomer book talks, um, continues to talk about how Jesus is a source of power and how Jesus Christ is the greatest overcomer of all. He overcame our enemies, sin, Satan, and death. Because of Jesus, we can clothe ourselves with the spiritual armor listed in Ephesians 6 and stand in joyful triumphant no matter what battle we face. As we look forward, we face the future knowing that God will always lead us in a victory. And that's what it means to be an overcomer. God's word tells us that we are to be strong. Not in ourselves, because I'm definitely not, but in him and the power of his boundless resource. It's not a call to fight. It's a call to stand. From a spiritual perspective, we're not fighting for victory, but from victory. We're called to be strong so that we'll stand in the victory that's already been won by Christ. Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and this is what I'll end on with tonight, and what I pray will encourage you all. Watch, be on guard, stand firm and fast in your faith, be brave and courageous, and be strong. Autumn strong. Thank you.